Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reconsinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And happy Friday the 13th. It's one of our favorite days of the year, right, David? Um, some people's favorite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a day that at least I celebrate uh, greatly. And um, mm-hmm. we had, uh, you know, just to be honest here, guys, we had uh, plans of going over Friday the 13th Part 3. Uh, a very special episode looking back at that film, as we've been doing for the last few Friday the 13th. Uh, but uh, there's been some stuff going on. I've had some some health things going on. Uh, and I've got things. David, I've got things. David's got things going on, and uh, mm-hmm. our schedules have been crazy, so we have not had a chance to get together. Plus, on top of that, the director of the Voorhees Museum, Brent Hutchins, has, uh, has been uh, out... In the field, he's been in the field. Haven't been able to get him back to the studio. So yeah, Brent has been in the middle of many investigations for the Voorhees Institute. Mm-hmm. And you know, listen, if he can't be on the show for Friday the Thirteenth, then I don't know. I don't think we do a show. Yeah, it's, so it's uh, that's just my opinion. Where the as far as Friday the Thirteenth goes, where the Three Musketeers. So uh, absolutely, <laughs> but but we do have something special for you for uh, for those who who maybe missed it the first time around. We are going to re-air our Friday the 13th Part 1 episode, which I think was a very good one. So we uh, this, yeah. this is a special From the Vault uh, part of that series. So Yeah, the, the, the what's available in the feed is still available to you now with this special introduction. This is great stuff. There's going to be some twists and turns you wouldn't expect, just like any good horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited about that, yeah, we're, uh, to revisit that. We're going to dive deep, uh, way deep into the first film, uh, which was kind of a, uh, well, I don't know if I'd say it was groundbreaking, but it definitely helped really usher in the wave of, of horror that was to follow all through the 80s. And obviously, kickstarted a major, major horror franchise. Absolutely. So listen, let's get back into it. I'm excited. Uh, We're going to find out where we all sit, where we all find ourselves with this franchise. It's it. We're releasing this uh, re reissue on the final Friday, the 13th of the 2010s. Mm -hmm. Uh, The final full moon of the 2010s is happening right now. Um, This is exciting. I mean, the horror doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> well, we have a good time with Friday the 13th. Even David does, so he won't admit it, but sure. it's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> but I think we're going to come back on the next Friday the 13th in, in 2020. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll get uh, we'll get Brent back uh, if his investigations uh, conclude in a timely manner. But uh, we're going to work our way through that franchise, and uh, it'll be a fun adventure for all of us. Yeah, we're, uh, we'll be back uh, as far as the Friday franchise. We'll be back, I believe, in March with Part 3, and I think we have at least one more next year. Part 4 is going to be a very special episode, uh, so stay tuned later next year for that. That's way down the road. But uh, for now, just enjoy or re-enjoy uh, Friday the 13th Part 1 from Year 1 of Reconcinimation. Let's do it. (laughs) 
Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. So, Friday the 13th, part one. Is that the full title? That's, well, the full title is Friday the 13th, but <laughs> just to, to separate it and, and uh, to be clear about which one we're talking about. We're going to focus on this first one? We're going to focus just on the first one today. Great. And this may be a recurring thing mm-hmm. every Friday the 13th. I think we might just hit the next movie. Oh, man. You're gonna love it. I'm gonna get scared so much every time. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm still trembling (laughs) since my rewatch. This is gonna be our one of our traditions. Okay. So we're gonna focus on part one and just talk about the franchise as a whole a little bit, just a little bit. But yeah, of course, we'll get into it. It's a whole it's a whole evolving story Mm -hmm. uh, that's almost goes through today, but uh, it's really fascinating look. A, a great example of a of low budget filmmaking 101 mm-hmm. successfully done. Yeah, it does everything right commercially, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big hit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, this is uh, this was something I couldn't wait to get into because first because it's coming right at the end of the the decade of the 70s, right at the beginning of the decade of the 80s. Basically, the Gen Xers, the last of the Gen Xers are being born. The Millennials are starting to be born. Oh, God, don't say that. The Millennials are just about to start being born they're, here. They're on their way. They're on their way they're when coming. this movie comes out. So we're, we're on that cusp because we did what? We did two 90s movies? One 90s Yeah, we've movie. done one 90s movie. Really? We've done one 70s, 70s movie. And two 80s movies. And, uh, yeah, two 80s movies. And now so. this is the, we're t- now we're hitting the... This is kind of a 70s movie. Yeah. I mean, it really it it like, is. The, it was... Shot in 79, it came out in May, May 9th, 1980, but uh, mm-hmm. it looks and feels like a 70s movie. It it's sure not, does not feel like... And actually, the, the Friday movies, it, they don't even really feel like an 80s movie till part three, definitely part four, but mm-hmm. we'll get into those later. All right. We'll talk about two and three next year, so oh, stay tuned. There's more Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll be around out. next year. <laughs> We're definitely going to still do this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This won't fail. Keep that. Keep that in mind, guys. We're not going anywhere. No, you know we're, you're going to be listening to us 35 years from now. Yeah, 37 years from now. 30, whatever. 38. Sure. Why not? 42. Four, all right. I'm in. All right. Yeah. We're going at I'll least. Be, I'm going to be sitting right here recording more shows. 
maybe by that point we'll expand into the 2000s, but I'm right. not I'm not ready. Okay. Yet. There's a lot of movies still to do. Yeah. But anyway, let's so getting back to uh we're talking about Friday the 13th mm-hmm. and uh it's a it's a really it's a rags to riches story, you know? It's the, the film. The film. Not the behind the, the scenes. Not the plot of this. No, the movie. not the plot of the movie. Okay. Come on. All right. Sorry. We're not rehashing plot. Unless it is. Did I miss <laughs> maybe I missed something. <laughs> Those Christie, the Christies, the Christies, they, they were who run the camp. Uh, yeah. They're trying to make money. Yeah, they're not. I think that's your rags. It's a business. Story. It's a bit bu- it, at the core of all of these stories. It's a it's a business. It's, it's a business. It's just a business. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, no, this film was made what on the cheap? Oh God, yeah. Budget was. We'll get it. So, just so everybody knows, the, I love these movies. I love all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. The good ones, the bad ones, the ones in the middle. You know, that's like part seven. It's kind of in the middle. Got it. Anyway. Uh, I'm And just for context, I'm less of a fan. So this is more we're gonna, uh, enjoying this movie from two different perspectives. Yeah, we're going to bounce it back and forth. Here we go. But setting the scene. So Halloween comes out in 1978 and kind of changes everything as far as horror movies go. Mm-hmm. There had been... The studio films of, you know, the universal horror films, the hammer horror films, the uh, it's evolved and, and was really not much was happening with it. Um, and we'll get into a little bit uh, more with some of the players behind the scenes of this movie. But Halloween just broke the mold and created a whole new system and another movie that had a extremely low budget and ended up making a ton of money it was a huge hit and really showed that that the teenage audience is starting to become the main driving force at the box office uh, they're the ticket buyers they're the ticket they're, buyers they're going to yeah. run to was halloween like the first of the slasher genre yeah halloween was the first official slasher movie yeah. uh, the there are people who argue that Psycho was really the first one. Oh, yeah. The case can be made for that, but that's a long gap between 1960 and 78. So Halloween and Friday the 13th, they define the genre of yeah. slasher anyway. Well, Halloween created it and created the formula, mm-hmm. but Friday the 13th really like smashed the door in mm-hmm. and, and really made it, the, the, made it what it became. Because that franchise... The Halloween franchise was not very successful. If you look at all the sequels that were just poorly received, didn't make as much money. Mm-hmm. The Friday the 13th movies, many of them were big hits. Mm. And uh, as a whole, is more appreciated as a franchise than the Halloween movies are. Mm-hmm. The Halloween movies are kind of all over the place, story-wise. I mean, the, the, the Friday the 13th movies have a, have a formula, and they kind of the best ones stick to it. Instead of like Halloween gets really weird when you get into like five and six and this cult thing that's happening. And, oh, you know, Jamie Lee is gone. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance is gone. And then, you know, they've brought her back so many times and, and they're doing it about to do it yet again oh this fall. Uh, so it got weird. Yeah, in Halloween. Did, did they like? What do they go to space or something? like Oh yeah, that? they're yeah they're in space. No, actually, Jason goes to space. Oh, so. oh hold on, hold okay. on that one. <laughs> Pump the brakes. <laughs> Pump the brakes on that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this really expanded the the 
subgenre of the slasher film. Got it. Uh, but behind the scenes, this is really the the this is really born out of a few people's brains. The main driving force is Sean Cunningham, who mm-hmm. is the director of the film and eventually a producer in the franchise uh, later on. Oh, okay. But for this first one, Sean Cunningham was basically a softcore porn director. <laughs> um, he did a couple of films called The Art of Marriage and Together, which were... The Art of Marriage was a sex education film for... Mm-hmm. Basically is what it was, ah, and okay. then and then together was was a, kind of a, a next step up, I guess, with Marilyn Chambers and and was a you know a, a, essentially a softcore porn film. Got it. Um, but it made money. Those movies made money, and if you keep that's the name of the game in this business well, is no. if you <laughs> if you make money. You're gonna you're you're gonna get your next project. The more money you make, the more projects you're gonna be able to do. Uh, he loved guerrilla style filmmaking, which is mm. just run and gun, run and gun, very college you know style. Yeah, that I think many of us have uh, learned that way. I think that's what you you don't have a choice. Yeah, I when mean you, that's you just starting. like you don't have the budget, you don't have the money to to hire a key grip, a best boy, and and four grips. You know you have one person who's a grip and a gaffer mm-hmm. and probably locations and maybe sound, <laughs> right? you know, it all works together. Yeah. Uh, so he made together and it made a hundred thousand dollars profit, which was very good. Sure. And he's working for a company called Hallmark releasing guys named Phil Scuderi and Robert Barsamian who sound like gangsters uh-huh. and behaved like gangsters basically. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, but the movie was a profit, so they told Sean Cunningham, they, they said, we'll do your next movie, we'll back your next movie, come up with something. While he's editing together, he meets a young guy, an assistant editor, named Wes Craven. Wesley Craven. Little Wesley Craven, just oh. running around, splicing film for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they created what became The Last House on the Left oh, in 1972. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that one, David? Yeah, I've heard of that you one. You familiar? Uh I knew of that, and then I knew of a... Did they do a remake? They did, yeah, okay. in like 2009 or something. Some, with, the, uh, with I don't pay attention after 2001, so... What's what's the girl's name? With the, with Jessica Biel? No, that was Texas Chainsaw. Got it. Let's <laughs> get it straight. You knew what... Every time I say, we, what's that girl? I'm always thinking Jessica Biel. Listen. You, you know this about me. Listen, pal. So We're not going to have any mix-ups like we did with Open Water and The Shallows. Oh, okay? are we going to admit it? That's your fault. <laughs> what did I do? Um, I just assumed a movie. You did everything. <laughs> so on our Jaws, Jaws episode, we constantly refer to Open Water, which is a shark movie, a movie with sharks in it. Yes. Uh, we said that that was the movie about uh, Shailene Woodley being uh, stranded. Uh, what's her real name? Not Shailene Woodley. Blake Lively? Yeah. yeah. Stranded on a, a rock, hunted by sharks. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that movie is actually titled what? The Shallows. The Shallows. It's, it's, you guys didn't. I'm sorry. You guys didn't hear me. I said it. No. I said it in the Jaws episode. Did you say Just, the Shallows? I, I sure. Yeah. Go back. You know what? Go back to the archives, everybody. And, and I think we uh, were rattling off shark movies, and we were like, "Oh, the Shallows," and then Open Water, and then maybe you stepped on me when I said the Shallows. I could. Yeah, be. I think that's. What... Yeah, I messed up. 
I I had a ton of notes and the interns organized them and I was really upset about yeah, it. Yeah, that was then, Greg the intern was supposed to straighten all that out. Uh, and again, these guys. He's on the I, he's on thin ice. Thin ice. Getting ready. I'm getting ready to just throw a chair. <laughs> um so okay, no more mix-ups with the with these these movies, so yeah. last house on last the house left. on the left. That's uh, about a bunch of murderers. Of murderers, it's a super who? disturbing movie. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it once, and <laughs> I I don't think I'll I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. But some guy or guys kill somebody, and then they go hang out with their family. Well, they end up at their yeah. They, these <laughs> man and these two girls they kill they like rape and mur- like they rape and murder these two young women, and then end up at the, one of the girls family's house and then the parents figure out that these people have killed their daughter and then they torture and kill them sounds what a great but it's like gruesome like they show and that was part of they were going craven was going for something and Mm -hmm. uh when you like see them eviscerating this girl like pulling her guts out disgusting but uh anyway so they make this movie together (laughs) uh and yes it's another hit it makes a, uh, just enough money. To just be... enough to get the next project. Mm-hmm. So Cunningham is still working with uh, with Hallmark releasing and, and makes two more movies called Manny's Orphans and, oh, what was the other one? Oh, Here Come the Tigers. Mm. Uh, both huge failures, oh. like total bombs, two bombs. and So he had two somewhat hits followed by two bombs, and now he's back. He's, like, uh-huh. basically poor. And desperate to do another movie. Uh-oh. Doesn't really want to work with Hallmark anymore. They're very controlling and demanding. I mean, they it's all their money, so yep. they kind of call a lot of the shots. And Cunningham and wanted to move on, but wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. So uh, they convince him to stay in the relationship. Uh, they connect. He connected with a writer named Victor Miller on those two those two movies that are kind of. Not hits, were those horror movies? Those are not horror movies. They don't. Those here are, come the tigers. Sounds yeah. like a, a ho- it's, it's it's just a bunch of tigers attacking a small town. I'm so, here come the tigers. <laughs> here they come. Look out! <laughs> and man, these no, orphans are <laughs> they're getting murdered. It's a bad news bears ripoff essentially. So <laughs> oh yeah, weren't wasn't the tigers the name of the team on, on in bad news bears? I think it was the Bears. Oh, you're right. Okay, all right. Yeah, I thought they were totally easily confused. I could have sworn they were called the the Buttermaker Bears. Here come the yeah, (laughs) the Buttermaker Tigers. Is that right? Um, So yeah, they he connects with Victor Miller, and they start kind of throwing around some ideas for a uh, for another project, Mm -hmm. um, which is. When uh, right around the time that Halloween comes out, oh. Halloween explodes on the scene, and both of them are like, "That's what we need to do. We need to repeat that." Almost exactly, following the same beats. They're gonna the they're point. gonna hit that formula. They're gonna they're gonna go for the the mass killer, a cast of unknowns, uh, of unknown teenagers, limited locations, isolated. You know, uh, teens isolated. What? What would prompt them? They're trying to do their own thing, doing this stuff. So this is clearly not like a creative decision. Like, no, this is this is how to get. This is how we strike out, uh, strike big. Yeah, this is how I we mean, make money. We're just tr- going to rip off. They're trying to make enough money so that they can start doing the projects they want to do. This which is, is what. Uh, okay. I mean, uh, many, many, many filmmakers 
who come out either to wherever, New York or L.A., like have this problem of, of you have all these creative ideas and the projects you want to do, but you don't have the money to do them. So sometimes you've got to do projects just to start that cash flow coming yeah. in. So he's trying to gain some traction. Uh, the What's funny is the Hallmark guys have, they've set aside basically a half million dollars, $550,000 for this project. Okay. And they get into an argument with Cunningham one night and Cunningham backs out of the deal and like quits the whole thing. Oh. Sleeps on it. The next morning goes out for a run, thinks about it, calls uh, that guy Phil Scuderi back and changes his mind, makes, makes nice and decides he's going to stay with the project. That was about 20 minutes before Phil Phil was on his way to reinvest all that money in a shopping center. Oh, wow. So if he had waited any longer, there would never have been a Friday the 13th and never have been a Jason, never have been the huge slasher. Well, maybe something else would have come along to to expand the slasher genre, but it wouldn't have been Friday the 13th. So 20 minutes difference would have changed everything. Wow. We're living in someone in an alternate reality where this is, this is where it happened. Maybe this isn't, me? This isn't real. I think you're right. I think it's probably. I think that shopping center became the big thing. <laughs> that <laughs> the, was a really big shop. The, right, Scalari shop light. <laughs> sent, they're now they're everywhere in uh, in America. And that on that. Did you have Pathmark to where you where you grew up? Mm, or Wallbaums? I had heard of Pathmark. Yeah. I don't think they were they were not mainstream uh, outlets for us. Mm. I, but I knew what I, I can see the logo in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm good with logos. Yeah. Oh, good. You know this about me. I, it's show a me a logo. Thing. Show me a logo. It's always just the boom, boom, name. <laughs> yeah. Here, show me a logo right now. Here, Dunkin' Donuts. Got it. <laughs> Nailed it. Every th- that's a. That, 10 see out how of 10. quick that was. Though? That was quick. Uh, so it's n- summer of 1979. They come up with uh, the summer camp idea, and they call it Long Night at Camp Blood. Ooh, terrible title. Real catchy title. (laughs) Long night, camp blood. A long night, a camp blood. (laughs) Uh, Sean Cunningham came up with the name. He'd always liked the name Friday the 13th. Uh, It had come to him, but he had no idea. Like, he didn't have a story attached to it. He just liked the name. And decides to take out an ad in Variety. Full-page ad. Of actually the logo that is in the movie. Oh, yeah. Of it, like, smashing through glass. And he's doing, he takes out this ad just saying, Friday the 13th, coming soon, for two reasons. One, to, like, drum up some interest and see if he can get some additional financing or distributors kind of, uh, you know, looking at them earlier on. And two, to see if anybody owned the, owned the rights to that name. <laughs> really? And he figured if he put it out there, somebody owned the rights to it, they would uh, come up and bring it up to him. Right, and then right. they, they would deal with it then. And then right. they'd stick with that Long Night at Camp Blood. Yeah. And then we'd be talking about the Long Night at Camp Blood we, series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's been a debate about whether mm-hmm. people, someone actually did have the rights and Hallmark had to kind of make a little side deal with them or not. Mm-hmm. But they dispute that. Uh, so, yeah. And that... that uh, if you guys want to track that down, that's a little um, hot item. July, I believe it was July fourth, seventy nine. That that uh, issue of International Variety. Oh, okay. Is that a, is that going big on the auction market? It's a collector's item, you know, for all those 
All the Friday fans. All them Friday Friday heads. There's a lot of them. A lot of fry heads out there. So is that what the super fans call themselves? Fry heads. Fry yeah. Fry guys. We're the fry. (laughs) The fry guys. The fry guys. Right. All right, so they start the they get into production or prep of the movie. They're they're casting out of New York City with a casting director named Barry Moss. Uh, they've got a five hundred and fifty thousand dollar budget, which, as you know, being an independent filmmaker mm-hmm. that you are, mm-hmm. that money goes real fast. Oh yeah, uh, just in just in uh, water. Yeah, bottled bottled water that is yeah. not environmentally friendly. Sparkling bottled water spark <laughs> always sparkling on lined with set. diamonds yeah <laughs> diamond caps no that's that does that doesn't sound like a lot of money even in 1979 to do anything it's not and and <clears throat> they were constantly fighting that budget mm-hmm. i mean you can see it on screen with how little lighting there is there's <laughs> scenes where you almost can't tell what is happening it's just everything is dark you've got one like light bulb lighting the scene mm-hmm. Uh, and that's strictly like they they did not have a budget or money for a big lighting package. So, yeah. but you know, it can, but it works. It actually works on camera for the most part. Totally works. It sets the mood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it works in favor of the movie. That mm-hmm. it sets that mood. It feels like a real place, and that's what that's what they were going for was was realism here. Mm-hmm. And I know that may sound crazy when you're talking about Friday the Thirteenth and realism, but. But when you look at this first movie, this movie is different than the rest of the movies in the franchise. It's setting everything up. It's a different pace. It's a different look. I mean, it looks like a real camp and that these are real people. Mm-hmm. Identifiable characters. Even though they're your stereotypical characters, your jock, your good girl, your heroine, your nerdy guy mm-hmm. the you know the girl next door the the mm-hmm. you know the good boyfriend type right they're all kind of the stereotype but they still feel like real people right well because none none of them seem heightened uh you you'll see this with this genre like those characters are always given a little bit more than what you saw saw here right like the one yeah. guy's uh, ned is uh ned he's always a fucking hornball and a goofball yeah but it's not so extreme like, no, it's 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 really toned down and a lot more like grounded in this movie. Yeah, and uh, the others they get way crazier. Yeah, but and like Kevin Bacon would be the Kevin Bacon. The, by the way, we we're welcome just, welcome to the show. Kevin. Yeah, Kevin Bacon. First time we can talk about one of the, the best. Bakester. The Bakester. <laughs> That's what he likes to be called. He loves it. But he's like, I guess he's he'd be like the hot jock guy. But like he's just he's, oh yeah, he's just a. Like just a kind of a regular dude, like, right? Yeah. Now he would be, but he'd the be like over the top jock, yes. dude, like buff, yeah. just chi- like super chiseled, like kind yeah. of dude. And and here right. he's just basically like your average guy who feels like maybe he might be the hero, like possibly, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really stand out that much ahead of everybody else in the cast. It's pretty even. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't know. You could make bets on who you think would make it to the end, if yeah. you didn't know, and you'd probably be wrong. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think most people would think Kevin Bacon or uh, or Harry Crosby's character Bill. Yeah. Um, would or even Steve Christie. Even Steve Christie. Even Steve. Even Steven. Even Steven. That's <laughs> that's just us with our quick. 
we're, we're, just we're fast. In, we're <laughs> you got it, guys. Keep up with us. Come on. Anyway, uh, so, um, but yeah, talking about the cast. As we said, Kevin Bacon. He had done Animal House. Yeah, and kind of thought he was. If if you read some interviews with him, he thought he was. He had it made after Animal House. That that he was in good shape and he could just keep going with his acting career and uh, didn't quite, I guess, didn't quite get the business side of, of things. And, and that was it. Like, he, everything dried up after Animal House. Wow. Uh, he didn't make really any money off of that. Hmm. Uh, this is, in 1980 was a new SAG contract where residuals started to really factor in after 1980. Oh. Before 1980... And that some of these actors in this movie talk about how, however much money Friday the Thirteenth made, these guys actually didn't see very much of it because they just residuals weren't part of the deal at the time. Some of them who were in clips from later movies, or or Adrian King, who's in the second one, Mm -hmm. um, saw it from those movies. But the first one, and even Betsy Palmer, like didn't really make a lot in residuals. Like she said, she got a check for like thirty five dollars. Oh wow. So, not a lot. So they were just doing a job. Anyway, yeah. They're just doing a job. So Kevin Bacon's sort of desperate. He's a waiter again. He's not really acting. Oh, and geez. And uh, had known this casting director and, and was actually cast with Mark Nelson, who plays Ned, mm-hmm. and Janine Taylor, who plays Marcy. So the three of them were kind of cast as a trio. Oh, okay. Uh, the other kind of... Not the other, but the, what ends up being the lead in the film, Adrian King, was a dancer who was, was a, in, an extra in Saturday Night Fever, was auditioning for Grease on Broadway. And there's a rumor that they were actually considering Sally Field for oh. the Alice role. Really? Uh, I don't know if they that's true. They couldn't afford her. <laughs> no, they couldn't have. I think they were like, in a perfect world, like, yeah. we'd get Sally Field, the, the girl next door, right. you know, the sweet, cute girl next door. Um, but if you can't get Sally Field, you go for Adrian King. That's as you do. That's number one. Yeah, that's or, that's or number two on the that's list. That's in the Hollywood rule book. Yeah. that we all read and subscribe to. Well, I really liked Adrian King in this in this thing. I I, I was surprised by her. Yeah, I think she's totally like she's totally fine in this. She's fine. She's fine. But um, well. You know, so we all know she's the one that makes it to the end, right? Yes, we've you all, guys have all watched this movie. By this why point. would you? You're why, not listening why would you still this? listen to this? If you haven't listened, seen this movie. Yeah, um, but uh, her getting to the end was was uh, was great. The, yeah, it was. And but watching, it the, it's the Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's taking that character and and morphing it into you know fitting it into this movie. Yeah, it's carving another copying of the of Halloween. Uh, yeah, there's like just yeah. straight up. This is part of the formula that they're, <laughs> they're, uh, that Halloween started and this just solidified what that formula is and it works mm-hmm. or it worked at the time. Yeah. And they're going to milk it for the next 20 years. Good for them. Until what? The ring. And then there's a new formula, you know? Yeah. The genre, the slasher genre. It fade, evolves. It evolves. It has to change, right? You can't do the same, same tropes every time. Well, and that's what this franchise will learn as they, it goes through the 80s, is that you keep going to the well, you know, eventually it's not going to work. Audiences will reject you. Yeah. You can't keep doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. 
or the, we'll get in. We'll we'll get into that. We'll as get, we get into, into the it. deeper well, movies, guys. We're going to get into it. Uh, but the last the last big name, the biggest name that they cast in this movie was Betsy Palmer, mm-hmm. uh, who was a '60s TV star. She was a game show host uh, on a show called "I've Got a Secret" that went I don't know like ten years or something. Uh, oh. But she was she was like Katie Couric, you know. She's <laughs> like the sweet host, yeah. And her was being totally she was being totally cast against type in this movie, yeah. So and and it was essentially the Donald Pleasance role, except they twisted that role into spoiler alert, the killer, the, the killer, Mrs. Voorhees, Mrs. Voorhees. Um, they originally wanted Estelle Parsons from Bonnie and Clyde, oh. um, and she was she wanted a percentage on the film, uh, uh, so that was the deal breaker there. Uh, Whereas Betsy Palmer, all she wanted she wanted ten thousand dollars. That's it. Give me my cash. Ten thousand to get a new car. Her car had just broken down. Oh no! She gets a phone call like the next day I with this it. movie, and she's like, "I'll do it for." There's a car I want for ten thousand. So, shit, let's do it. Not bad for uh, a week's work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or yeah. Prob- I mean, I would assume based on how much she's only in the last twenty it's, minutes. It, of the movie, I think right? it's. I think it's ten days. It's like a thousand dollars a day. Nice. Not bad. I I do a lot of things for a thousand bucks a day. <laughs> Name five. five Name things? seven. Seven. I don't have. Oh man, I've got a list of. You know what? That's X rated. Let's let's. That's keep for it clean. our. That's for reconsideration after dark. <laughs> coming soon the other podcast okay so they shot this where did they shoot it they shot it in new jersey this is basically where i grew up i grew up in new york but mm-hmm. this is right on that new new york new jersey border mm-hmm. uh and in blairstown new jersey camp noby bosco was the name of it noby bosco the boy scout camp oh okay and they were like the creepy guys who while camp's in session they're like scouting like adults Oh, you know, like, watching all these kids and they're actually scouting for the movie. Right, 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 right. They were like waiting for the moment those kids were gone from camp so they could start. Oh. Uh, they, sh- they shot from September 4th to October 3rd, 1979. Fairly nice weather on the East Coast. Yeah. Perfect you know, time of year for this. We've already talked about not going in the Atlantic Ocean and why that's a big, big pile of junk. Do not. Get me started, but this is not. This is further this inland. Is nowhere so near you're the fine beach. on the east coast. Nowhere here. near near the beach. It's yeah. just woods. It's woods. It's fine. Plenty of woods all over New Jersey, Pennsylvania. All over the bodies are all buried there. There's woods in almost every state, I think. But lots of woods <laughs> are in there. New Jersey. Probably not in Montana. No, there's there's, there's woods in every there's, state. Come on, what do you think? You guys, even the desert it. land. There's some somewhere in Arizona. I'm sure there's. <laughs> Pockets of woods. Yeah. Nevada. Uh, and talking about points, when I was talking about uh, percentage of the film. Points on the back end. Points on the back That's end. As they say. Cunningham offered the crew points instead of a salary. Holy shit. And they all said no. Whoa. Which I'm sure frustrated them in, uh, in hindsight. Could you imagine? I mean, they would have got Done know, better than. They done would. a hell of a lot better than they actually did on the movie. Holy cow! And they've got, and, and it's interesting the 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 financial side of this movie because Hallmark releasing, who's financing this? They're they're a bunch of theater owners. They they ran a bunch of movie theaters, mm-hmm. so money would come in after the weekend. Mm-hmm. So there would be like these bursts of 
funding coming in and Cunningham's oh. trying to like not run out of money trying to pace out use spending the money because it's not all there at once right. it's being like oh staggered God. into the account they had to they had to use the the weekend re, uh, yeah, weekend revenue the weekend yep the weekend revenues were funding this movie so to not so not only are they paying for the the overhead of their business but then whatever profit they have they're funneling it into an active movie right, right. paying cash using cash yep. basically and Jeez. Cunningham's got like a ton on his plate while he's trying to make this movie very specifically still figuring out some things as he's going and having to worry about the money being there when it needs to be there. Swinks. He did. I mean, I, I think he did a great job in that, like no checks bounce and, mm. you know, I think he had to stall and delay a little bit sometimes, but everything got paid. Everything, everything got, got paid. paid. Everything got, oh, well done. And That's the cast was all, happy i mean they they it was i mean for the cast and crew it was like a summer camp this mm-hmm. was like low budget filmmaking at its almost its most fun right they're at this camp half of them are staying in the cabins half are staying in a hotel down like basically down the road mm-hmm. uh and they're bonding they're having fun you know the guys who aren't you know shooting that day are off hanging out at the camp yeah um it's just it was it was a the making of the movie was a great experience for a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, let me do a quick little plug. Okay. If you guys are interested in learning a lot about the making of Fra- the Friday the 13th movies, there's a little book called Crystal Lake Memories mm-hmm. by Peter Brack uh, that's just fantastic. It's a fantastic detailed look at every single movie. Oh, wow. And it's... You know, it's decent sized print, so uh, you don't have to. You know, it's not reading uh, Gone with the Wind or anything. But, but is it uh, uh, pictures too? Pictures, pictures, testimonials. Yeah, it's interviews. Of, it's oral, all interviews with oral history kind of stuff. Yeah, with uh, almost everybody of, of importance fun. from each movie. Hmm. That's got to be great for the the super fan, the super fan, the Fry Guys. It. Or you can go to Friday the Thirteenth Films dot com. Okay. A great resource for uh, Friday, for Fry Guys. But only when you want more. You have to listen to this whole episode. Don't just stop and say, well, I could." there's obviously other resources here. Yeah. Because you know what? <laughs> Those resources won't have our edge. They won't have our fun. You're going to miss all this. And we got more to talk about. Come on. We're just getting halfway we're there. We're just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other huge element in the making of this movie... As a guy by the name of Tom Savini. Are you yes. familiar, David? He is a composer. He is a um, makeup artist. He, closer. He You're is a lot a, closer. He is a special effects guru. You got it. Guru. Yeah. yeah, guru, legend. Yeah, yeah. Huge name in the business. Absolutely. Uh, and he comes to this movie just coming off of Dawn of the Dead, which is like one of his signature oh, films. Shit. Uh, they got Savini. They, yeah. Uh, Savini was a combat photographer in Vietnam, and his job was to go shoot dead bodies and show the damage that could be done to them. So imagine what kind of impact that has on you. Uh, So it's no surprise that he had that image, those images imprinted on his brain, and his goal was to like recreate that. And he, he always said it was, it was virtually impossible to really 
fully capture that look and that feeling that a dead body has. The right. way the jaw goes slack and the way the eyes look and not everything's clean like yeah. you know just closing your eyes it's like there's a lot of details that you can't really like capture that yeah. so that was one of his his things that he was you know always trying to do was to get that feeling so he was always striving for the the perfect lifelessness the mm-hmm. what but but obviously you're never going to hit perfection so he but yeah but that's his goal that's his that's goal. what's driving him wow. so you know he works on Dawn of the Dead and and that's a huge successful movie for him especially uh, and finds his way to this and coming with an assistant named uh, Tazo Stavrakis and it's the two of them were like cowboys on the on the set they were like the fun guys to hang out with and all they did was experiment with effects and and models and and a lot of practical jokes uh, were played on on the Jeez. cast and crew. Those zany guys. Like one, they're they're having lunch one day in the mess hall at the camp, and and Tazo like bursts into the room in like a gorilla costume and just going nuts in the whole room. And Savini jumps up with a gun and shoots him because he's got squibs on the oh my god <laughs> on the gorilla costume, and and everyone's freaking out. And they would do stuff like that all the time, just stunts, you know. <laughs> That's their. <laughs> This is the type of people. That, but they were like, a, obviously, a horror movie like this. The the death scenes are the yeah. the deaths are the big draw, right? And and Savini was so important to this. The, 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 getting the logistics of you, Cunningham couldn't have made this movie without Savini. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to work together to figure out the performance meeting the special effects needs and the, the logistics of all that. Yeah. Um, so. Savini couldn't have been a bigger uh, influence here. And talking about those deaths, there's some huge ones in the in the whole franchise here. Some of the best ones are, are in this movie. Mm. Kevin Bacon, right? Fantastic death. One of the best death scenes in in the franchise's peri- in the franchise period. He meets his end after a, a, a nice. A nice set of a set of lovemaking sessions, mm-hmm. right? He had a he had his fun. He's relaxing, having a smoke, kicking back, laying on the bed, laying on the bunk bed. Yeah, and you're expecting because you see while they're Jack and Marcy are are making love, mm-hmm. the camera pans up and you see Ned's carcass like above in the bunk above them. Yeah, and you're kind of expecting. If something's going to happen, you're kind of expecting it to come from above. Right. And instead, like, a hand comes up, grabs his forehead, and this, what was it? It's like a spear. spear, Yeah, Yeah. an arrow or a spear just comes bursting out of his throat, essentially. Yeah. So from under the bed. From under the bed. That the killer, who we don't know who that is at this point. Yeah. Is has been waiting there, planning this out, waiting for this moment the whole time. Yeah, and it's a kind of a kind of an effect gone wrong. Mm. So they've got uh, the, Kevin Bacon's head is poking through a hole in the bed, and that's a fake body. Mm-hmm. And Bacon's like on his knees underneath the bed. Yeah. Uh, the effects guys are under there, and there's a big bladder that they're going to drive the drive the the arrow through the bladder through the neck Uh and a pump is going to pump the the blood out 
Well, when you when you watch the film, you see the arrow come through and just a pool of blood come out. Yeah. What happened was it, it basically clogged the hole, so uh. the it couldn't pump out. So the uh, Tazo, the assistant, just jumped in there and started like pu- like put the tube in his mouth and blew air into it, uh-huh. and then that's when that big spray big right before the cut, uh. the spray comes out. And that's like he just on the spot kind of jumped in and, oh, and did that. And I was underneath the bed, like blood's going everywhere all over the effects guys. And it's oh, disgusting. Oh, mess. my God. But, but uh, it's clearly, a really memorable death. Yeah, it's quite a quite a visual. And um, uh, you can only get I guess that's the type of thing. You really only have one shot at it. Right. I'm, yeah. With the budget that you these have guys, to assume they, that, they couldn't do this over and over, especially. Yeah. Uh, it's just too expensive and take would take too much time. Yeah, uh, the on my recent rewatch uh, of the movie, that scene, you know, I really I I was surprised. Like I I forgot the exact angle and the exact shot until it, until it happened, and it's it looks really good because I I I rewound I had to rewind it again just to watch like to see where where Kevin Bacon's like neck begins and the body yeah. starts. But I, you didn't know, you don't notice it no, that cut, what, like that quick, that quick. Like it looks great. It looks, it, it's kind of seamless when no. you're watching the movie. If you go back and pause it, you know, and yeah, you can see it. like the shoulder looks a little wooden, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but it, it went in the movie itself. It, it plays great. So congrats to Savini. Uh, and they had a lot of fun with the other, with a lot of the other deaths when, when the. Uh, was it Aunt, yeah Annie the the first character that we meet yeah gets kind of her throat slit in the woods and that you just a nice little prosthetic there that uh, yeah. it looked really good yeah they, it looked it opened it opened nice and then the blood just and that just was another bit. one one taker yeah first take got it Whew. yeah I like and it. I think she hung around like the set and like <laughs> became buddies with uh, with all the effects guys so. She, I, I like Annie the character. She's yeah, she's like a sweet, you know, sweet innocent girl who. Yeah, she's basically just all immediately. Smiles. I mean, that's the first. Is that the first death other than the, the flashback the, in the beginning? It's the first present day death. Yeah, first yeah. present day. First present day. Yeah. Um, but she's she was so lovely, so nice, and she and had to die. So dead. And so dead. Uh, the other one was uh, the Marcy character with, mm-hmm. who foreshadows her own death, which is actually that was kind of a creepy scene to me when she's talking about this recurring nightmare she has, where she's mm-hmm. in a shower and she's hearing the rain falling and mm-hmm. knowing that death is coming. Right. Oh, which right. is exactly what ends up happening to that's her. That's right. She was in the shower. And you think about it, like that's that's the real that's the real fear there. That's the real scary part. Is that when she turns around in the shower and knows that that nightmare is now a, in this last moment is a reality, mm-hmm. like there's nothing scarier than that nah. in real life. Like knowing a nightmare is coming true and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. That's fear. That's uh, I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah, I'm afraid if, of a lot of things. I talked about it last week on Jaws. All of your, if any of my real fears happen. In, and and it's and it's inevitable. That be that's gonna be awful. My, that's gonna be a terrifying couple of seconds. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a way to go. I know what your fear is. It's just being in the Atlantic Ocean. 
I'm not afraid of it. I just hate it. <laughs> you just stupid. All right, true. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to accidentally just drive backwards off a cliff. I'm pretty sure that that's probably how happens I'm go. every day. I just, somehow I'm. You just have a problem be... with driving backwards though, too. Mm-hmm. It just. I I mean I try all the time and I. You try to go forwards and you just. I'm just doesn't work. I'm always just going backwards. Yeah. Uh, and the last uh, big death. There, there's deaths all over the movie, but there's the last like seven big, deaths. Yeah, but uh, Betsy Palmer herself. The queen of the slasher genre, uh, when she is decapitated at the end of the movie, was another another well done gag. I mean, again, if you do it slow motion or pause it, you can see the fake head. But mm-hmm. um, that was the first thing she did on set. Was before she even got to the set, Savini grabbed her and he's like, "Are you claustrophobic? I need to make a mold of your head." Oh like, wow! <laughs> very first thing. Oh, all right. Um, and it's actually. Tazo's he's inside the torso of the sweater and he's got Betsy Palmer's fake head on top of his and it's being held by toothpicks oh my gosh and Savini is swinging a real machete a real machete a real machete and has to hit that mark exactly what is and of with course these he, guys what? I told you they're cowboys like he's That's this insane. is why he's a legend that <laughs> It's so careless. And he does. And and uh, I've seen pictures of it of like you can see the toothpicks broken and yeah. they wanted it to fly off and not be held there too tight by something. So Sure. Oh and he my did God. it. Yeah. A real machete. Not even just like a dull, flat thing. No. A sh- fucking a, machete. A real machete. There's a lot of... Again, when you get into the low-budget gorilla style here, yeah, you, you start walking a fine line of... That's Maybe some so, safety things. Yeah, I don't even want to get into the animal cruelty that happens in this movie. I was going to ask you is, if yeah, that was real. Th- that it was looked real. A very sad story that that was a real snake that oh. was really chopped up, and the the animal handlers like off camera just bawling, oh. knowing they were going to do that, oh. but just bawling his eyes out uh, that they, you know, did this to that snake. Now or pretty quickly after this, you, that doesn't happen. You don't. You don't murder. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast either. <laughs> uh, so after that, after that movie, you, you had probably just weeks or months to like drown a horse in, on film. And yeah, you had to get that. The clock was ticking. <laughs> clock, so so you, you better get some animal deaths. Better in. murder some some dogs. <laughs> you know those horse like, drownings. The horse drownings. It's Never ending story, right? That was another. Oof. Oh, when uh, the horse, like in the mud. Was, oh yeah, right, oh, right. Oh, oh, I remember watching God. that as a kid. Oh. And I'm like, I think that uh, that poor horse. I mean, that I like cried my eyes that's, out. That's not even why I mentioned horse drownings, by the way. <laughs> but that <laughs> holy that's, shit, never ending story just pops in there. <laughs> when you think horse drownings, think a never ending story. <laughs> um, another thing that. Uh, took a few tries was the the ending of the movie oh now jason oops spoiler just spoiler alert jason there's been a big dispute of who thought up this ending the ending is what really makes the movie Mm -hmm. when alice and mrs Voorhees have their battle which by the way they were that fight on the beach they were really going at it 
Betsy was giving it in every scene. It was a. It was, I was really fantastic. impressed. Betsy Palmer is she Mrs. Was... For, Voorhees is a forgotten and underrated villain. villain. Yeah, I mean she's, she's amazing. Yeah, disturbing, scary. Like she's frightening to me. Mm-hmm. Like where she's calling out in the little boy's voice, yeah, killer. Like oh my god, <laughs> don't even go there. Yeah. Uh, but she was a, a, a theatrically trained actress, oh, yeah. okay. and at the at least at the time, when there was physical stuff, they really kind of did it. Like when they slapped each other on stage, they were slapping each other for real. Yeah. So she struggled with this fight scene with with Adrian King, not really hitting her. Like the first take, she slapped her right across the face. Oh shit! I mean, for real. Mm-hmm. And uh, had a hard time pulling those punches and holding back. And they were really, like, pulling each other's hair and were really kind of going at it. Like, <clears throat> she was really slamming her head in the in the sand. In the, <laughs> yeah. And again, according to Adrian King, like, that was a real machete that they're holding in that fight scene. I mean, couldn't have been more dangerous. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Filmmaking. But so after that, uh, Alice kind of in her... PTSD, you know, mindset like wanders out into the into a canoe and want, like kind of drifts out into the middle of the lake, Crystal Lake, Crystal that Lake, is. Uh, and is kind of zoned out. And we have this beautiful, peaceful music from composer Harry Manfredini, mm-hmm. uh, who we'll get to in a minute. Okay. Uh, and just really setting like, ah, she made it. She's she's through it. She survived. And then, boom, out of the water jumps our new our new best friend, Jason Voorhees, who pulls Alice into the water. Yeah, that uh, that was terrifying. I how high did you jump? Uh, there's dents in my ceiling because I, I jumped twice. I watched it again. I watched it. <laughs> And it got you. And again. It got me again. I totally like, forgot. <laughs> um, so this ending, they shot that scene three times. Mm-hmm. They shot it in, I think, somewhere in September, and it didn't turn out. They shot it again in October, didn't turn out. Finally, they go back in November of '79. Oh. It is now about 28 degrees outside, and you can see in the background the trees. It's fall oh, for that's sure. Right, yeah. that's if you exactly. look, like it's not green. Those trees are. Red and yellow. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't even put that together. It doesn't matter, but no, it's just yeah. something you, you notice. And, right. and uh, they finally had three cameras going. One of them's, you know, kind of doing the slow motion effect, and mm-hmm. and it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, Savini is, like, just off camera helping the actor, Ari Lehman, who plays Jason, uh, try to stay underwater. He's got that prosthetic head on. That's uh, basically like a beach ball. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, he'll like when he's ready, he would go underwater, hang out there just until the bubble, you know, bubble the, the bubble stopped and the water was still, and then he would burst out with. Uh, and it was only about th- three feet of water that, that where that canoe was. Yeah, so. he wasn't gonna drown. But no, he no, no. It, it feels like it's like you know, twenty feet deep mm-hmm. is the way it looks. But they did a really good job of getting that on the third try. Nice. Um, so yeah, and that's that that ending itself was a kind of a takeoff on Carrie, the ending of Carrie. Right. So there's some heavy borrowing mm-hmm. going on in this movie. Doing what works. Doing what works. It's kind of a mix of t- 
taking what was, yeah what was working before with their kind of spin on it here. Yeah. Um, so you know, take that with what you will. I like I like it. I like that ending because I, obviously that happens and then she wakes up in the hospital like yeah that so that probably never actually physically happened to her but it, yeah it turns from like just a crazy from Mrs. Warhees just being a crazy murderer to well there's like a supernatural element now yeah Super, like, it it just completely changes the thrust of what this movie could be or what you could do after it yeah and there's yeah. and they do and that supernatural element stays throughout the whole run and there's very little explanation right like in part two they kind of like try to you know give a, a brief explanation but at no point do they get into the science of any of this right the origins like it's not like how she, like, would yeah like was she a cultist and they she, she, no no right. there's no explanation of how this how yeah this continues like, to come back was he alive under the water this whole time and yeah. did mrs Voorhees know that or you know were they not in cahoots together yeah. no they weren't but did he have midichlorians in his system he must have yeah he probably had a lot of midichlorians yeah there's some force stuff <laughs> this is a spinoff of star wars the, did i mention that they, they 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 took what was working like hey everyone's talking about the force let's uh well jason's boba fett mm-hmm <laughs> You know, young Jason, young Boba Fett. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I mentioned Harry Manfredini, and you can't talk the, about the Friday. Composer. The composer, yeah. You can't talk about Friday the 13th without that, that famous theme song, mm-hmm. which is actually, people think it's. Mm-hmm. It's actually, not? it's not. What is it? He's, it it's. It's. Kill mother. Really? That's what that's what he claims it is. It sounds it doesn't sound like it, but that's what it is. Huh. Um, that's kind of like that becomes the theme of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. That's like the Jaws theme, right? And it, and and like we talked about in the Jaws uh, show, it represents the same thing. When you hear that sound, the killer's nearby, or you're the, it's the killer's point of view, just like with Jaws. So you don't have to see the killer, right? To know that the killer is there. Nice. Yeah. So smart. Oh my god. <laughs> It'd be weird if they opened the movie and there's just a blonde-haired woman is running around killing people. And, yeah. You know. A lot I of people know. had problems. Uh, we'll talk about the critics in a little bit, but people had problems. Some people had problems with the fact that you had at no point do you even have a chance of knowing who the killer is. No. Until you meet Mrs. Voorhees at the end of the movie. Yeah. There's no hints. There's no... Um, you saw shoes at one point? Yeah. I think. You see the car that she's driving? Yeah. And and then there was, when she slashes Andy... Is it Andy? Annie. Annie. She, she's wearing... Get it right. The, I think you see a, just like a brown plaid shirt. So you don't... Yeah. You know, there was just... It's nondescript. You don't know. And even when it was shot, it, like, that was not Betsy Palmer and all those. Course, it was right. somebody. Just some schmo. Some, yeah. Some local schmo. Some local schmo. <laughs> That's what um, you do. You hire so, a local schmo. Yeah. Uh, so... Some people thought that maybe, you know, when Steve Christie goes to the diner... That you should have seen Mrs. Voorhees maybe sitting at the end of the mm. the bar, just mm. drop little 
hints so you could have a chance of knowing it's kind of some critics thought it was a cop-out that like oh it's just this killer out of nowhere right no explanation no explanation i mean she explains it but right you have no idea who that character is it doesn't exist yet so well yeah so i guess that's a criticism of of actually of telling a cohesive story like you could just come Mm -hmm. up with anything it could have been aliens killing it could have been anybody you know so yeah uh, without dropping any hints, so. Hmm. But the fact that it's the mother, mother of a drowned. makes a it makes sense in the story, mm-hmm. and that's one of the like bigger pieces of movie trivia that people forget that the first movie Jason is essentially not in the movie. Right. It's not Jason is not the killer. It's Mrs. Voorhees. Yeah. Um, so you know, keep that for when you go to the bar and do trivia. And they say, when's the first time you saw? Jason in a hockey mask killing people. Yeah. It's not this one. Not this one. Actually, it's not even the second one. All oh, right. Part three. Part three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just firing out trivia for you guys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, having the killer's point of view is like the audience at that point knows more than the characters do. Right. So it's kind of gives an edge to the audience. And you know, you know more than they do. Yeah, you know there there's a killer about because none of there it's not even until there's what just the two of them left just Bill and Alice left that they realize that everyone's been yeah they don't even know no and that's, they don't know their lives are in danger that's part of part of the I don't know part of the I think part of the realism that they were going for with this movie is that they spend this the first hour of the movie which is kind of slow paced mm-hmm. this is not paced out like anything at all like modern horror movies are. Mm-hmm. It's a slow build. It's all character kind of development without getting into their backstory, but just giving you a feel for these people and getting you to connect with them and like these counselors. Yeah, they're just having a fun day doing, you know, working there. Yeah, they're just, just kids having... who are coming there to have fun and set this camp up. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but one by one, they're getting separated and eliminated. And the others have no idea that that's even happening. I mean, they all assume that, like, Jack and Marcy have gone off to go have sex and, like, they're not going to be back for a while. Mm-hmm. And no one's even... It, it dawns on them that, hey, they've kind of been gone for too long. Yeah. And by the time they do, you know, or one by one they're going to bed or something, and it's like you, you wouldn't know that something's happened to them. Right. Um, so you're meant to care about these guys. I did, too. I know you were... Well, you called me... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Weeping, after every death, after each death, like I, I had to. I paused the movie. Paused the movie, and I dialed the phone. I dialed on my rotary phone to you. It took a while, right? That yeah. was like sixty <laughs> seconds of just dialing. Yeah, it's a well. It's also a giant novelty phone. It's, I got a lot of zeros in my number, so <laughs> yeah, I had to go all the way around. Um, but I did. Ah, oh, Brenda. Ah, oh, Brenda. Brenda, Brenda, sweetheart. Brenda's so great. Yeah, she's like smart. Fun every, strip monopoly, everything. great idea. Yeah, Are you kidding? And I love that Parker Brothers is like, okay, sure, you know, yeah. do it. Yeah, you've got our permission. <laughs> we want to see down. more of that. <laughs> um, let me just jump back to, to one more thing about Mrs. Voorhees, Betsy Palmer. Do you think she's actually the ultimate mother? The ultimate mother. She's doing everything in her power. In her mind, for her child, 
to protect her, to avenge her child uh-huh. and to essentially she's looking at protecting the campers mm. mm-hmm. who are an extension of her child. That's true. Uh, I mean, obviously not because she's killing psycho. people, but uh, I would go with the queen xenomorph and aliens as maybe the ultimate. Yeah. Mother. I, I don't know if I can argue on that one. <laughs> uh, well, there, it's some, there's something disturbing about a about a, a mother killing a bunch of teen, hot teens. <laughs> yeah. I have to qualify every time I see teens on movies. They're they're hot teens because <laughs> uh, I'm a pervert. <laughs> no, but she don't use the p word. No, I'm a prevert. <laughs> um, and it's sort of like because of who Betsy Palmer is. It's this. It's this. She's so sweet. Old older kind of mentality. Yeah. Versus the youth movement. Mm-hmm. Well, that and you saw that and you saw that when we met Annie and how you know the trucker was just warning her, quit, get out of there, and 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 she's hitchhiking across God knows how far she's come. She's yeah, we don't know why. She's twenty miles Happily out. Hit, she's the happiest hitchhiker I've ever seen. It's seven in the morning. She walks into this dead town, into the diner. Where was she? Where did she come from? We don't even know. Did she hike? Doesn't did matter. She, she's like, "Where's Crystal Lake? I'm here." Did she come from the bus station? I don't know. But but there they the they have like a little with her and the trucker. They have a little spat about her idealism and and how you know she's not afraid of ghosts and all. You're that. an American original. I mean, right, right, exactly. <laughs> so it's. Uh, it's it's one of those it's that generational thing. Yeah. The baby boomers versus the Gen Yers. Gen no. The boomer. Yeah. Wait, she's a boomer. Yeah. Annie's a boomer. Yeah, Annie would be a baby boomer. And then what would the older people? What do you I call don't know them? What today? that was? The Roaring Twenties. The roar. <laughs> They're the, all the roarer. The roarers. The roarers. Um, Please tweet us to let us know. <laughs> Tweets the grandmas. Hit us up at slash. No, at reconsideration. So you've got fears of this, of increasing crime happening, social kind of dislocation. This is like the time period where uh, there's they're starting to, you know, that don't take uh, candy from strangers kind mm. of mentality is out there. Mm-hmm. So there's some some newer themes happening here. Some some in between the lines, new paranoias, and yeah, new fears. So audience could, could audiences could kind of separate from their their ongoing fears and worries at the time mm-hmm. by like watching this movie and and laughing at these characters and these death scenes and oh, kind of living through that and having you know doing what movies do you just take you out of your you know you're coming to be entertained and to be thrilled mm-hmm. and separating from the worries of life yeah. Which I have a lot of life worries. If you're so. afraid of death, though, <laughs> which most of us are, you, do you do you do you, do you want to watch movies about people getting killed? I don't know. It's kind of I think in a way could be therapeutic because you're yes. seeing it happen. You don't have to worry about it inside because you're watching it happen. Yeah, I guess it depends on the. I don't know what what gives you a thrill, right? Yeah. What really thrills you? What scares you? Well, yeah, um, and and I think it comes down to context too. Of like, well, when's the first time you actually witnessed this kind of these acts on film? And probably the younger you are, the like, maybe depending on your mindset, 
you know, you're either more or less receptive to it. I was not receptive to it. And I yeah. stayed away. I stay away from the slasher genre. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me today or, but it, it was not an attractive thing for me, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just, I'm just giving you and, some context. And <laughs> horror has changed so much. Like we said earlier, like, mm-hmm. The way the universal horror movies, which was really the first wave of horror movies, I mean, those are so... I, I never just... found those scary. But my dad thought, still thinks like Dracula and Frankenstein, the Wolfman, are some of the most frightening things he's ever seen. Yeah, the monsters, man. And I never I never saw it. Yeah. You know, they were... They look cool. They were cool. They know, good older films, mm-hmm. but... Um, they never struck any kind of fear with me, and 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 horror can change. And now, yes. now horror movies are so complicated and sophisticated visually that it's all about the, you know, the visual scares, mm-hmm. and not so much the slow paced um, realism that like a movie like this has, and a movie like Halloween. Mm-hmm. The tension of the terror of the tension. Yeah, you know the yeah. the, the slow build the. When's it gonna? When's it gonna happen? What's yeah. gonna happen? And and you know this movie was essentially made for teenagers, hot teens, hot teens, <laughs> uh, who are being in it are being punished for their sexual acts, right? For being youthful, for b- doing being, what teenagers do. Yeah, yeah. Um, now Cunningham has disputed that they weren't out to make that a point of the mm-hmm. movie. It just kind of grew and evolved and became the thing that you know sex is equals death yeah he didn't it wasn't the message it's just but what else are what else are teens gonna do and that's what he said that that's what they do you know so when you get a bunch of hormonal teenagers together and you know in a campgrounds that's i mean they're gonna i went to a great camp Mm -hmm. i went to which i just visited by the way summer trails day camp in uh Somers, New York. All right. A little plug there. Okay, great. Uh, Send them some business. But yeah, I was I was there for like 15 years almost. and and You lived there for f- I, 15 years? Well, it was around the corner from my house. Oh, uh, okay. So pretty easy. So you'd stop by. So I was a camper and then a counselor. Got it. And, you know, those hormones are going at that age. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, if the, if the whole movie's about killing teens, put them in realistic, real situations. Mm-hmm. So it happens to be having some things they're gonna do that uh can't you and there's nothing you can do to stop them david i know you try you go on these ra- campaigns i to, go on rallies i hand out flyers yeah. abstinence only you walk education. you look in every parked car to make sure that there's nobody doing I'm like hey anybody in there all right <laughs> good. break it up break, break it, up. it up go home <laughs> take her home take get get out of here i'm start the car yeah i'm i'm not leaving until you go And then, and as the franchise evolves, I, the rejected teen really embraces the Friday the Thirteenth movies because they, as the franchise changed over the years, they got behind Jason and they saw Jason as as a way they could get their revenge on the teens who picked on them. You know, the rejected teen could get their revenge through Jason. What? Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, I mean, oh, as they go on, you're rooting for Jason. Really? N- obviously not in this movie, but as the series goes on, 
they went away from like getting you behind the counselors and getting you to like the counselors. I mean, fairly by like the fourth movie, you're 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 wanting to see Jason kill these people and see what creative way can can oh. he kill them. All right, because they're all just asshole. They're kind of asshole yeah, teenagers. That's yeah. <laughs> and for you know the quote unquote you know nerdy teens or, or whatever, just outsider teens. Jason kind of spoke to them that that oh. they could get their you know sort of revenge on those type of characters yeah. through the Jason character. I see. Oh, that's so it's I therapy. Think. It's I therapy guess. essentially. Yeah, Friday okay. the Thirteenth movies are therapy. All right. <laughs> I can't wait to get into these <laughs> next year. Um, speaking of, we talked about cast members, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been running up and down. Yeah, we went talking about a whole bunch of actors. Uh, Harry Crosby, uh, did, did I mentioned earlier, was uh, who plays uh, Bill, mm-hmm. son of Bing Crosby. Oh, no kidding! And he's uh, now an investment banker. Oh, he must be doing very he's, well. I think he's doing very, very well. He is. He was doing probably doing well before this movie too. Yeah, that's a good point. If he's from the Crosby, he's movie. one of the few guys who like has not really come out to talk about this movie very much. Most of the rest of them have. You know, done a lot of interviews and go to the conventions and you know, horror conventions and comic cons and whatnot. But, yeah, yeah. But he has stayed pretty quiet. I think he's got a whole separate. He's got a different existence. Life. Yeah, this is something uh, he did as a young man. Yeah, but Bing Crosby's son. Huh? How about that? Well, I mean, yeah, I, you. And then what? Kevin Bacon just coming coming back in to, this even to Hollywood. Like, this, this was, was like it. take two on the beginning of his career. Yeah. Because it wasn't that long after that that he got footloose, and then he was off to the races after that. Maybe him playing the villain, if it made it hard, he was essentially the villain in uh, Animal House, right? One of one kind of, of one of the bad, you know, bad guys. Yeah, frat frat boys. So, but this one he gets to be the innocent fun mm-hmm. teen, and uh, well, so it helped because it showed it could sh- like. This and Animal House showed a bit of a range that he could do. Yeah. And I think that helped, you know, other casting directors kind of get to know him. Yeah. But, I mean, this uh, there's a lot of different parts in this movie that, you know, you, you've got talented actors up and down. Talented, yes. The most talented? Mm, I, I don't think he made it in this movie. That's well, right. Our old friend, Kurt Russell. Are we going there? Let's go. Let's go to the corner. Kurt's corner, baby. Here we go. Um, Kurt Russell, 1980. Now, you guys know how much we love Kurt Russell. He's going to be a part of every single show that we do. We've gotten a lot of good feedback uh, about you guys embracing our love for Kurt. This is a promise and a guarantee. Kurt's with us to the end. And... I hope one day he's going to be sitting in this very studio. Yeah. Recon Cinema Studios, live in Hollywood. <laughs> live in Hollywood. <laughs> live in Hollywood. Hollywood. California. But, uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about this movie. Uh, I got a couple questions for you. Fire away. Uh, number one, is Kurt Russell in this movie? Negative. Uh, yeah, he's not, not. Not yet. He hasn't shown up yet. Not, I keep yet. watching, I, waiting, I, and hoping. I just don't think he's. We're gonna see him. No. So, um, all right. Question two. 
would a 1980s Kurt Russell fit into this into this movie? Could we could we see him as one of the teens? Oh, absolutely. See, see him as I could see him almost anywhere. I could see Snake Plissken being the truck driver Enos in the beginning. That could be. I would think he would play a perfect townie. He'd be a townie. Oh, you know, we didn't even talk about Crazy Ralph. Well, right, Crazy Ralph. Part big part of the series. Yeah. Right? Big part of the beginning. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, he could be easily be Kevin Bacon. He could be Jack. Sure. Without question. He could be Bill. So, all right. Since he's not in this film, who's got the best hair in this movie? Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's tough. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say... Hmm, it's a toss-up for me. I'm going to say Kevin Bacon... Oh, or yeah. Adrian King. She's got a sweet bowl that, cut. That bowl cut looks uh, great. You, it frames, looks great on her. Frames her face amazing. You don't see a bowl cut in a Hollywood cinema very often. <laughs> Not right? these days. No. Uh, looks great. Yeah, she'd probably be my top choice. Yeah. Kim, Kim Bacon's got great hair. He does, but go with the bowl cut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so c- congrats to Adrian. You've got the best hair yeah. in this movie. You win the, you win the award. I'm sure she's listening right now. And then finally, we're gonna do, we're gonna do the thing that, you know, this thing is named for Kevin Bacon. This thing Are is there, named. Do you have, I've got, you have I've a, got five. I've got reams. You have an encyclopedia you're rifling through. <laughs> I've got reams of data. Um, so can we get tear that printer? You, is it? You've got some old like printer paper that yeah. you've got to tear the edges off. <laughs> right. It's gonna... So. If Kevin Bacon's not in this movie, let's let's try to connect it. Without Kevin Bacon? Without Kevin Bacon. That's going to be I'm just hella difficult. All right. Let's connect Kurt Russell to Kevin Bacon. Okay. That's your challenge. Can you do it? Challenge accepted. Star of... I got Started it. 13. I'm, I'm there. All right. What do you got? Kevin Bacon to Steve Martin, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Kevin Bacon's got a cameo in the beginning oh. when he's in Chicago and they're fighting for the taxi. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Steve Martin to Martin Short. Obviously three amigos. Three amigos, yeah. Martin Short to Kurt and Captain Ron. Ooh, very good. That's that's a that's nice two length. moves. Well right? Bacon, Martin, three. Martin of uh, three, that's I guess. Three moves, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice nice. Word. I can't count, but I can think about Kurt a lot. I mean Kurt's he's always on your mind. Just there like is, the song. We've got an 8x10 in a frame that we put out on the on the desk in the studio yeah. when we start our show. When it's time, especially when it's time for Kurt's Corner, it just gets an extra sparkle. Well, we actually played Six Degrees of Kurt Russell with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. We did it. Bacon is now a co-star in, in the, the Kurt's Corner yeah. Six Degrees game. So thanks for joining us in the corner. Let's get back to the action. Slide over, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Slide over. Slide over. Kurt's in town. <laughs> it's in. It's just, and this is his corner. Um, and it always will be. So, let's talk about some numbers. So the movie comes out in 1980. Yeah, May 9th, 1980. <laughs> All right. Hitting just before, I believe there is a Friday the 13th in June of 1980, which is uh, why. Yeah. Uh, so they're trying to get it ahead of that. So sure. that's 
coming up. Generate that. Everyone yeah. going on the, that Friday. Oh, baby. A big name in the Friday the 13th franchise is Frank Mancuso. Mm-hmm. Senior and junior. Mm. Frank Mancuso, Mancuso Senior is the uh, executive vice president of marketing at Paramount. Paramount at this point uh, is looking to do some to generate some more cash. And the Friday the 13th franchise is going to bail them out of several problems over the years. It's Friday the 13th is like the redheaded stepchild of of Paramount's history. Oh, wow. Like, they almost... They never wanted to talk about the fact that they, they were the ones releasing these movies. Hmm. A major studio releasing these slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Not a, you know, Dino De Laurentiis smaller distribution company. This is Paramount Pictures yeah. uh, who sent Mancuso out to find low-cost, independ- independently produced uh, productions that the movies are already made. They're just buying They're not financing the movies. They're just picking them up for distribution. Mm. And this is all part of the fallout from Halloween. That Halloween struck it struck gold mm. and now the stu- the major studios and there's a bidding war over this. It's Universal, Warner Brothers and Paramount are all fighting for Friday the 13th. Oh wow. So suddenly Cunningham's like in the, you know, it's got it made that this movie is definitely getting distributed oh, and yeah. and for a good uh you know, a good amount. Good chunk of change. So it ends up Paramount gets the domestic rights. Warner Brothers gets the international rights. So now you've got two studios. And in, if you can track down the international DVD, it's actually got nine seconds of deleted gore, essentially. Oh, really? Yeah. What, there's a lot of scene? like rumor of additional scenes that were shot. And there's some stills that were taken by the still photographer of like different murders happening to some of the like the two campers in the opening scene of the movie oh, okay like there's a whole murder sequence supposedly filmed oh, okay of the girl getting killed and there's stills of it but uh. it's not in the movie and yeah. even cunningham denies it but Interesting. Uh, so the international version has nine extra seconds nine so big seconds. seconds yeah anything can happen in those that's true uh, but they're, Paramount's going to release this movie, like, not just at the drive-ins. This is going to be in 1,100 screens. It's going to be in all the major cities, all the major theaters. So they're really, like, completely behind it and putting it out there. It's getting the full mainstream push. Getting the, getting the push. They're putting out the ads. They're putting out. Oh, yeah. There's commercials running on, yep. on Saturday morning yeah, cartoons. Yeah, you, you, you were going to see this movie. <laughs> Everyone's seeing it. Everyone's talking about it. Number one at the box office. Number one. Number one. That's the intention. Yeah. Well, I got it. Number one. That weekend? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Opening weekend, $5.8 million Boom. For a $550,000 budget. Yeah, make it you know, 10 plus times back. whatever advertising. Yeah. Uh, so it's more than made its money back, you yeah. know, at least five times over. Uh, its initial run, $39.7 million. Pretty successful. Sure. Worldwide was about just under sixty million. Oh, nice! So those are huge numbers. That's great. Talking huge hit, huge hit in those dollars. And number two movie this summer, behind only one other film. Do you know what that film was? The only film that made more money that summer of nineteen eighty. Can you take one guess? True, but um, yes, it is probably the Star Wars. Empire Strikes Back. Well, yeah, not Star Wars, but Empire Strikes Back. Sure. There's another movie that came out in the summer. 
Which movie? Well, you want to talk box office? Sure. You want to talk real box office? Sure. All right, number one. That uh, came out in June. Movie that came out in June made a bunch of money, mm-hmm. ridiculous amount of money. Comedy, zany comedy. The jerk. No. No. Airplane. Oh yeah, airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another summer movie. Yes. So sorry, you're. you're My numbers are wrong. Your everything you just said is bullshit. <laughs> you can't be trusted. <laughs> You know, it's funny, though. Do you know where, uh, uh, top ranking, where Friday the 13th falls? No, go. 18th overall. 18th? 18th of, of 1980, domestic gross. Oh, of the whole year. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything, got, yeah. everything that got released. Um, but the funny thing is the top 10, can you think of any other, just uh, off the top of your head? Oh, gosh. Anything else that might have been top 10 that year? 1980. Alligator. Uh, not no, in the top. Not ten. up there. I'm always th- I'm always afraid of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, go for it. Yeah. So it, what's crazy down. is the top ten. A lot of a lot of comedy is actually mm. kind of big. so. After Empire was nine to five. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder. Wow. Yeah. Prior. I mean, nine to five made 103 million. Stir yeah. Crazy made 101. Big million. big names at that time. Uh, Airplane after that. Uh, any which way you Wait, can. those movies made more than Airplane? Yeah. Airplane made $83 million. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, those were also... Those, those also came out in December uh, of that year, and then probably ran for... Oh, into 81. You know, yeah. So, but... Uh, any Which Way You Can with Clint Eastwood. Clint. Uh, Private Benjamin. With, Goldie. With Goldie. Mm, we're talking yep. Kurt. The queen of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Coal Miner's Daughter. Mm-hmm. Sissy. Uh, Smoking the Bandit 2. The Blue Lagoon. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Made $66 million. Tons sure. of money. Tons. Whatever. The Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Blues Brothers. That's top yeah, but that was not considered a hit, Blues Brothers. I won't call it a hit, but it made it's top ten. Made, I mean, I'm sure that costs a lot of money to make. Yeah, it was. I think that's what it, it was. You know, really expensive. It's fine with with that cast. Smashing and, those cars up. And, oh my god! All that shit. I mean, so yeah. I mean, but in terms of just overall, mm-hmm. those are your top ten. Look how much comedy is is in the top ten. Yeah, people are just enjoying life in 1980 at this point, right? <laughs> like everything's easy. Well, and it's fine. coming off. Well, like Saturday Night Live is so huge, and and sure. you know, not that a lot of those people are from Saturday Night Live, but yeah, there's uh, people just want to laugh. I think yeah, at this point, you're coming out of the 70s and that kind of just kind of dark cloud of Nixon and Vietnam that are hanging over everything and, and yeah. people are ready for change. People just need a relief and they're getting it. And that's they're kind of what the, these Friday the 13th movies became. Mm-hmm. Like they got at a certain point, they start to become almost like a satire of themselves. Oh, absolutely. Like the sixth movie is almost a flat out comedy. Oh, really? We'll get there. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they've got a James Bond opening in the opening of that. <laughs> really? Like where, you know, he turns to the camera and slashes it like James Bond would. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. But by that point, you know, they're... they're At least they're changing it up a little. Yeah. yeah. Let's have some fun with it. Yeah. Um, Want to talk about some of the reaction to this movie? Let's talk about my reaction. Yeah. What was yours? Not... No, was... Was this the first time... This wasn't the first time you've seen it ever, right? No, I've seen I've seen most of this movie as a kid. There was I had a I had Little Davy? 
Little Davy song? I had neighborhood friends I grew up with who, and it seemed like in their house, Freddie and Jason were either constantly talked about or just on or any of the movies were Icons on. of the 80s. And I, I just didn't care for it all, all that much. So, but I had seen lots of it, enough of it. So rewatching it just the other day, um, you know, I, I got to see the whole thing. But a, a lot of it was there. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine for you. Um, but I, I wasn't. Uh, I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, kind of. Did you remember that Jason's not in it? Or were you um, expecting to see no, Jason? No, I knew you, I, I knew I wouldn't see him. But when I was probably like a teen or something, I had to be reminded. Oops, oops, guys, we have we've got a technical issue. I was probably reminded. Uh, Greg, get in here. Greg, get him. Intern, Greg, the, can you fix this? All right, yeah, all right. Thank this. you. Thank you. Um, I I had to be reminded like he's not actually in it. Like mm-hmm. that that bit of trivia. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess. Oh yeah, I guess so. I didn't even. Because I didn't care for the I didn't care for the genre. I didn't yeah. want, pay attention to these movies. So. It's if you're not, I mean, you're either like a horror fan or you're not. It's yeah, hard to I'm really not. step in and out of uh, out of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not a at best a casual non fan. Yeah. <laughs> that's my. Nice. That's my. <laughs> um, but no, great stuff. I uh, I I there's a there's a lot of those wonders where the. You're watching these characters just react, like especially mm-hmm. with Alice and yes. everything like that. And I just kind of like we just live with them and let the, let mm-hmm. it breathe the whole time. You don't cut like. You like the part where she's barricading the door. Yeah, that man. That just went on, and it was. And the door opens the other way, <laughs> so that whole thing is. Well, it was just so you'd have to step through, though. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I saw the. Yeah. Because I mean, she tied the rope to to indicate. Yeah. But yeah. you know, and she. Started, Good try, Alice. She did her best. Yeah. She didn't cut. She should have closed all the windows. I don't know what she was doing. She's crazy. But yeah, there's there's a lot of long. It's a slow. It's a slower movie than most people probably expect or remember it to mm-hmm. be. But but it, and but it, there doesn't. And I think it. But it naturally builds a the tension for mm-hmm. when's the next thing. Instead of like the music trying to indicate when that jump scare is going to come, mm-hmm. you're just you're just waiting in the darkness with them. Yeah, you're, you're right there. You're. You're in that visceral yeah. sort of experience, so I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I liked it. I, I love. There's a couple of shots in it that that I always that just give me chills. Yeah, like the the shot where Ned right before Ned kind of vanishes when he's mm. walking by himself along the the beach and he sees there's a shot where he looks up. It's his point of view and he sees somebody kind of standing on the porch of this cabin. Yeah, and then you just you can't. There's like uh, uh, some branches like some leaves blocking who the person is. You can just tell there's a person standing there yeah. and then they just kind of turn and walk inside. Yeah. Like that. I don't, there, just something about it's the lighting. It's the, the music and that shot creeps me out really? every time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Um, well, what, uh, any other thoughts did you have or, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I had fun. I enjoy it. I, I guess I get I get it now. You get it now. I get it now. I uh, I don't. I'm kind of intrigued to like watch some more of the series just to see where it goes. Well, we're getting there. <laughs> now that because I don't seek out horror films. I don't. By judge, looking at the calendar, I see us doing parts two and three in 2019. 
Oh, all right. Well, so stay tuned. Come on. There's lots more to talk about. Okay. Um, yeah. I love all the Friday the 13th movies, as I said before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this one is the best film of them all. Mm-hmm. Where they're actually, as a film, Mm -hmm. like they're actually trying to do something and they're really getting you emotionally involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're doing a lot visually here. Mm -hmm. In that old, you know, it's an older style of visual, of cinematography, but Mm -hmm. I think it works. And and the, like we said before, the lower budget of not having the lighting, I think works. But uh, I... The first time I saw this, I got—I was probably six or seven. Oh my god! Another movie like Jesus. watched with my dad. Why are you watching this shit? <laughs> We're not watching Jaws. We Ugh. we watched this, uh, but I didn't fall in love with it until I was—I I think I was in college, hmm. or it was towards the end of high school. But I—I uh, I got into like the first couple of them again, mm-hmm. uh, and I hadn't watched the whole thing, but. When I was in college, back in Santa Fe, New Mexico, mm-hmm. we were having, it was a weekend, we were having a party at uh, my friend Brent's house, mm-hmm. uh, great party, it was going to be like, I think an, a weekend long party, okay. One of the, it started Saturday morning, we r- rolled in with the keg, and, and mm-hmm. it went all day, and, and all night, and then into Sunday, mm-hmm. but we were going to have, in one of the rooms, we were going to have... A Friday the 13th marathon uh, throughout the length of the party. Yeah, yeah. And I think we had we had rented like one through nine. Uh, there was nine. And we well, there's oh, there's twelve of them now. Oh my god. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, you know, I had a whole group of friends, and we had a, we you know, did drinking games, and we drank every time there was sex or there was the theme, you know, the theme music. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the killer's point of view, so Jesus like, Christ. or somebody dies. Uh, so like, Wait, you're, you're basically drinking. drinking. Just drink during the yeah. movie. A lot of fun. A lot every of fun. Three, every so three that experience was was a great time, and and I think that's part of what I what I go back to in my head when I watch these movies. That that experience. You're of reliving them. that. And it's a, it's these are movies that are meant to be watched as a group and. Really, to just have fun with, so yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of these movies I I view in a more of a lighthearted mm-hmm. comedy sort of way. This one, not so much. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it, I think it's a good movie. It, to me, for me, it holds up. Holds up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I can see it. It's it's effective. It's an effective movie. It's but you know, competent, effective film. Yeah. Quote me. You know who hated it though? A lot of people. The critics, Uh-oh. like ninety percent of them, Uh-oh. when this came out, especially Siskel and Ebert. Oh, they were Siskel good. specifically couldn't loathe this movie anymore. Really? He just gave it a hated just, it. Wow. I mean, he uh, give I me have, a quote. He yeah, he called Sean Cunningham one of the most despicable creatures ever to infest the movie business. Shit, that's a that's a pretty scathing thing to say. Yeah, that's. That's deep. That's he deep. started a letter writing campaign, gave out uh, Betsy Palmer and Charles Bloodhorn, who was the head of the company Gulf and Western that owned Paramount at the time, mm. gave their home addresses out on TV. What? To tell people to, you know, write send them? their hate mail to these guys. 
And they did. I mean, a lot of them did. Betsy Palmer, oh yeah, working actress. Yep. They devoted the October, the October twenty third, nineteen eighty episode of At the Movies with Siskel and Ebert was devoted to trashing this movie and other slasher films. Oh, okay. But this one leading the way. Oh my gosh. They hated it. They hated what. They both hated what this. They, they called it irresponsible. That it created, uh, it numbed the audience to violence. Mm. That it made it seem like it's okay and not something to take seriously, uh, <laughs> and the murders of sexually active teens—they mm-hmm. they just couldn't couldn't hate it anymore. I get their point. Yeah, it, it feels. I mean, hearing it now, it just feels like you're not you're not going with the times. Well, that that's the other thing. That, I mean, they're. They're part of a different part of a different generation, generation yeah, that yeah. that they were not letting go of that old like I don't know what did they want to see from horror movies right horror movies have to to stay current they had to change yeah like what did you want you still want to see the Wolfman and right. Abbott and Costello running around <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the Harlem Globetrotters meet uh, the Frankenstein yeah. There you go. <laughs> That'd be great. Just throw the Globetrotters in with anybody. There's a lot of crossover. But the, the Hollywood Reporter, the New York Times, the L.A. Times, Variety, they all hated it. Leonard Maltin, like, they were all just anti this movie. Uh, <laughs> Linda Gross from the L.A. Times, here's another quote. The villain is as much of a surprise as a sunburn after a July 4th beach party. Oh come on! Like gave she away, they gave away the killer. The, Siskel, they Siskel did it? that. Yeah. Oh just my God. spoiled it all. Oh my gosh! He couldn't, and you couldn't. I, I mean, could you damage a movie anymore by giving all that away? Yeah, they. they I were mean, really it's really hitting it below the belt. Yeah. Um, Holy shit! The Catholic League of Decency added it to a list of condemned films. Condemned. Oh my God! And in like immediately after it came out, this was like June of 1980. Yeah. Huh. So it's uh, up against some pretty negative backlash, but it didn't matter. Well, that's gonna that's only gonna pique everyone's interest. Exactly, anyway. they, it they're... drove people to the theater. Yeah, I want to see this. What, I mean, what's causing all this? Teens, thing? in general, mm-hmm. like to uh, you know not do what they're told to do. Right. And I think Frank Mancuso knew that mm-hmm. and knew that they were gonna. It didn't matter what the reviews were. The more negative they were, the faster the like teens were going to flock to the theaters and check it out. Yeah, they yeah. wanted to see what was so what all the adults were hating so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he outsmarted them. Quite brilliant. Yeah. Um, Ebert Ebert had said that the audience experienced the very thing that motivated the murders, which is a lack of compassion. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Could I yeah. get that? I hear, I hear what he's saying, but uh, again, it didn't matter. Huh? Yeah, I mean, did any of has, has any of these people changed their stances on this this genre or anything like that? I, you know, I, I don't. I'd have to see yeah. all the original reviews, and yeah. I bet they have. Uh, you know what? I, they have. Yeah. When the later movies came out, and they would trash them, they would compare them to how good the original one was. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! All right. See. I think Siskel was one of those that, like, <laughs> part six or seven, he's trashing that, and he's saying, like, "Well, here's why the first one worked, <laughs> right. and these ones don't." Right. So it's just whatever the newest thing is. 
Well, part and part of it is you know the criticism is obviously from a moral stance, like a, a moral stance in sure. a lot of ways, and sure. sort of what the responsibility of artists in in the mainstream and all of that. You know, the, you don't want to add from a certain standpoint. There, they don't want to advocate for uh, being desensitized to violence, yeah. murder, casual murder, explicit, visceral things, but things that people aren't have never seen before. Uh, I, I get that to a point. Yeah. So, but not everything is for for everyone. No. So. And there's still, I think those a lot of those critics had that, you know, stick up their ass. Yeah. <laughs> that '50s era kind of like mentality of like we're no, like the blob, like where mm. no one really gets hurt, like mm-hmm. everyone survives, and mm-hmm. and that's kind of where their heads were at. And here it's like, no, pretty much all of our characters are getting killed violently and yeah. right in front of us, and for no other reason, just by exist because they're because they exist mm-hmm. as teens yeah like you know they're not bad characters they're not villains they're not bad people they don't yeah have, there's no justice being served no and it's, it's their again villain. it's their worst fears coming true yeah you know like the marcy yeah. character that that we talked about that you know their nightmare is becoming a reality and then they lose yeah and that's kind of depressing yeah a lot of that sucks i i i i get it i like if the fact that you're saying that these movies turn... I have seen one other Friday the 13th. Oh, which one? Is Keith David in one of these? No. Are you thinking of Jason Goes to Hell? Mm, that might be it. Where's What's the one where they eat his heart? and be, That's be, Jason Goes to Hell. That's okay. part nine. I remember it. You're thinking about Stephen Williams, who's the... Oh, uh, Stephen Williams. Is yeah, there. from 21 Jump Street. Yeah, I, I remember it was an iconic actor and i didn't remember mm-hmm. who it was yeah and i remember him eating jason's oh, heart i yeah I saw that on rental with a, friend, with a friend of mine that and demolition man we watched on the same night great time Goodness. that's a, a win and a win right there <laughs> that was, that was, i can't wait till we talk about demolition man <laughs> let's down the queue um, um but uh but the, the you're saying that this the, this becomes more comedic more yeah it, it changes well it, it changes i'm, I'm intrigued by that eventually pretty quickly jason like freddie becomes an icon of the 80s mm-hmm. you know a larger than life character and and you're sort of rooting for him as it as it goes on yeah and instead of you know wanting to see these teenagers survive or, or, or if they'll survive you just want to see how is jason going to kill them and it gets more and more creative uh, as it goes on, yeah, which is something I love about Jason X, which is Jason in space. Jason in space, because they kind of embrace that mm. uh, mentality. I mean, that is almost one of the funniest. Aren't they on ones. like space station Crystal Lake or something like that? They was, they have a holodeck essentially, and they go back to Crystal Lake oh. in the holodeck. Oh and God. the way he kills the two girls in that scene is a direct take on stuff he does in part six. Oh my God. All so, right. Sleeping bag. Banging the sleeping bag. Oh, that's um, a brutal thing. Yeah, it's brutal. But does this movie hold up? I don't, you know, it, it does feel dated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different and slower than, than modern horror films. I mean, there's so many that, that I mentioned were kind of started with the ring inspired this new wave of, of mm-hmm. the jump scare and the mm-hmm. creepy, you know, disturbing visuals. Um, the, the tricks, you know, the, the tricks of the eye, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like with the, the ring and coming out of the TV right at you and mm-hmm. different visual gags like that. Mm-hmm. You know, those movies 
I'm not a fan of current horror stuff. Mm. Uh, I think a movie like this to me works much better than something like The Human Centipede, which is going to be the last time we talk about that movie on this show. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they have these great posters and these great ad campaigns and trailers for these movies that, that have no substance and a way more ridiculous plot than teenagers getting killed at a campground. Mm. I mean, it's pretty simple, mm. the old formula. Uh, to me, that works better. You know who you sound like? Siskel. Gene Siskel. <laughs> Did I, I just became you Gene Siskel. You were like, holy shit. You don't well, have, hey, that's not, you The know, Blob's I, a great movie, too. Well, I was going to... Well, this is... The, it's, this movie's just fascinating, because even if you, if you took out that supernatural ending, and it's just a straight-up just horror slasher film, mm-hmm. it kind of just works on its own. Mm-hmm. It doesn't... Because if... Uh, we know it's the, it's the precursor to that whole series. Yeah. But it's not part of that series. It's no, just, it's really like a prequel to, like, you yeah, just, yeah. It's just a prequel. It, it like, sort of starts with part two. Yeah, and that's the franchise. Yeah, and this is like so. This the setup just, to it. this sort of just exists on its own as mm-hmm. a ent- the one of the first uh, slasher films. That, yeah, that's part of the very that that subset like there's not really a slasher films anymore they don't do that no they're not they're That's all a, they're, they're all they're gore fest they're gore, and, torture porn and gore fest yes you know yeah but not the, a fan of that yeah i'm gonna say it again okay you're not a fan we get it jeez <laughs> that's fine that's fine that's fine i did like the remake of friday the 13th though uh we'll get there we'll get okay. that, that's the that's the end that's part 12 um when did they remake that uh, 2010 ish, nine ten. Oh shit! I don't yeah. even remember. Uh, that might be the one exception to our post 2000 movie coverage. You do like that movie, but huge this movie, huge merchandise throughout the 80s. The, the whole franchise, it's mm-hmm. it's had over 125 million dollars in profits from all the from merchandising merchandising it's all and and it's funny because you actually don't see a lot of merchandising for this first movie but yeah, it's all wouldn't. the like all the the toys and the 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 you know action figures that have come game. out the mcfarland toys it's all like yeah. the other friday the 13th movies like jason and all the different outfits and masks and yeah um can't really merchandise this movie no, but I, I mean, I think people would buy a Mrs. Voorhees figure. Oh, sure. Yeah, today? Sure. I think they totally would. Yeah. I, I, you could put a Kevin Bacon figure out. Yeah, well, it'll hit. Well, Crazy time, Ralph? Come on. Crazy Ralph. We still didn't even get to him. We still haven't talked about him. <laughs> crazy the ta- Ralph. The town crazy. <laughs> Who they kind of set up as maybe the murderer for a second. There, there is a bunch of red hair, and we didn't talk about that either, but there are a few red herrings. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Crazy Ralph? I always felt like they were setting up Steve Christie, the owner of the camp, as yeah. a red herring. Because if you notice, he drives the same Jeep that Mrs. Voorhees is driving. That was a note I had. I'm like, is that the same exact Jeep? Or yeah, it probably know, was. Probably but, was. But yeah. Like when he goes off to town, cut to Annie getting picked up on the side of the road mm-hmm. by this Jeep. Um, so, I, you know, you there's, make a connection of, yeah. in your head. Like, could that be him? Yeah. And you don't see him for he's gone for half the movie until he's at the diner. Yeah. Hmm. And another character that you think is going to come back and save them. Maybe yeah. the, the, the male, the typical male hero. Yeah. And absolutely does not. No. Yeah. He walks just, in he walks and immediately killed. And he recognizes Mrs. Voorhees. 
And then she's. It's a female him. empowerment movie, really. It's, yeah. You got a female heroine yep. and a female villain. Mm-hmm. Interesting and for they, 1980. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, Although that would quickly be gone by the second movie. But. Right. And then it's just dudes fighting dudes. Just, yeah. Now there's always there's always a there's female a, lead. Yeah. But it's always against Jason. So. Uh, how about the video game? It was a great Nintendo game. There was a Nintendo game. I remember he was he was kind of scary when you did encounter him in the forest or yeah. something like that. Or I don't know. He was giant. He was a big giant. Character. But you've got, if you haven't seen it, you've got to see the PlayStation game, the the one that came out like two years ago. Oh, okay. Fantastic game. Yeah. You you can either be Jason or the camp counselors, but it's it's just like I mean the designers of the game, which was a Kickstarter thing, mm-hmm. uh, designed a great. You know, campground at Crystal Lake, mm-hmm. and with the typical counselors and Jason walking around with an axe or whatever, oh violently killing them, or you're trying to escape Jason. That sounds like great. Fun. Highly recommend it for fry for for fry guys. For all those fry guys out there, you <laughs> fry. <laughs> uh, quick, a quick. Where are they now? Real fast. Tell me where is Sean everybody? Cunningham dead? No. Oh, still around. Left the Friday franchise after this movie. This was it. Went off. Yeah, well, for a while. He missed the whole Paramount run of uh, of the Friday the 13th films. Made a couple of other movies. Uh, House, House 2, oh. Deep Star 6. House 2, the second Not story? A, the, yeah, yes, okay. the second story. <laughs> Saw that one in the theaters. Did you? <laughs> Starring Ari Gross. Hey, love him. Yeah. Ari Gross, right? Whatever. Airy? Sure. Ire. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, so not a lot of hits, but eventually comes back when New Line takes the franchise over uh, with Jason Goes to Hell. He's brought back as a producer, and he kind of controls the franchise going forward. To this day, I think he, he's still in charge of he everything. He did 9 through 12. Yeah. He was a producer on those. Cool. Um, so he came back. Very different movies under the New Line banner mm-hmm. versus the Paramount movies, but... Uh, Victor Miller, the writer, went on to Dead. write soap operas. <laughs> Come on, uh, he won three daytime Emmys for All My Children. So <laughs> after the man movie? knows how to tell a story, he sure do. He sure do. Uh, Tom Savini, we already talked about legend, a legend, yes. a horror legend, yeah, and an icon. Uh, Adrian King was poised to be that Jamie Lee Curtis, and it never it never happened. She got. Sadly, she got a, a stalker kind of got involved in her life, yeah. and she removed herself from pretty much from acting. Yeah, uh, and and never her career never really got any traction. I mean, she shows up in part two. Spoiler alert. Uh oh. But uh, yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, that's a bummer. She's done little bits here and there, but no, nothing really much happened. Mm-hmm. We talked about Harry Crosby. We all know about Kevin Bacon. He's had a he had a string he, of hits. He's all he's just great. We he all was, love him. He was in movies like A Few Good Men. Never heard of Sleepers. It. Never <laughs> Novocaine. Tre- tremors. Uh, tremors. We're we're covering that. I can't Kevin worry. will be back on this show. <laughs> Apollo thirteen. Uh Lori Bert- Bartram, who played Brenda, the sweet Brenda character that yeah. we like, passed away in two thousand seven from cancer. Mm. Uh Mark Nelson became a TV kind of day play actor, but you know nothing made huge from that. Walt Gorney, who played Crazy Ralph, mm. 
was actually a big theater star. Yeah. Was constantly working as an extra or small parts. You can see him for a quick second in Trading Places. He's one of the butlers oh, okay. there. Um, and he's actually a narrator in the beginning of Part 7. So he oh. kind of does, does make another. He, he also shows up in Part 2. He's so. in Part 2. Yeah. He's part of the town. Part of the town. Does Enos come back? No. Uh, no. No more. Nope, no more. Uh, this movie got a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. You feel like that's accurate? Well, that the funny thing about Rotten Tomatoes is that's probably all the modern reviews. Uh, that would be yeah, well, uh, I mean, DVDreview.com and yeah. all that shit. So it's that's because I think I think when we started to do vacation, I I looked up Rotten Tomatoes and it's all the modern reviews that are online, right? Typically, yeah. So that's kind um, of a skewed report, you know. So they they'd have to mainly go get all the all the Detroit Sun and Detroit Sun. Los Angeles Times, New York Times yeah. reviews, and then figure it out from there. But that they're not going to go into the archives and no, do that. No. So it'd probably be a lot lower it, based on what you're saying. It's just everyone oh, just, from shit, the old, yeah. just shitting on it yeah. all day. Well, it depends who you ask. If you ask critics, you're going to get a really low review. If yeah. you ask you know, audiences, you're probably going to get a decently high review. Yeah, yeah. So it depends. But the, the franchise is a whole mega successful. Uh, I've got... It's made more than it's made close to seven hundred million. I've got six hundred about six hundred and eighty seven. Twelve million. movies made seven hundred million dollars. Pretty good. And and I for mean, the for, horror franchise. For horror, yeah. Obviously Halloween is is a huge film on its own. Mm-hmm. But the Friday franchise has beaten has on a dollar dollar sense has beaten the Halloween franchise, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Psycho, Hannibal Lecter, Scream, Texas Chainsaw, Child Play, it's topped all of them as far as dollars go. Mm. Wow. So that's pretty well, holy shit. pretty damn good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And yeah, I mean and they don't make these movies for for a lot of money, so it's just hand over fist yeah. dollars and then the merchandising. The and, merchandise and these yeah. movies were really they 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 knew they were going to make a lot of money in video rentals. Oh, yeah, the video rentals. Video that's rentals. That's what we're talking about. That you forgot you forget that that was a big that was a huge thing yeah and this hit video on uh july 12 oh sorry this hit tv july 12th 84 Mm -hmm. so right in the mid 80s when that vhs is really starting to take off all right this was huge i mean rented over and over and over oh my god that's right that i mean these were built for that that's funny do you know all these movies do you know if you adjust for inflation which which of the friday series is number one I'm going to say part three. That's pretty close, but actually it's the fir- very first entry is the adjust- with the adjusted mm. gross, number one of all of them. Uh, with then Freddy versus Jason oh, yeah, coming was, in second. Yeah. And then part Mega three. Yeah. Um, 3D. But, uh, but Jason X, tw- $20 million versus the 135 adjusted gross of uh, part one. Yeah, Jason X was a was a... Was a bomb. What a bust! I love that movie though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back when I worked at Suncoast, throw that out there. Like we sold these movies constantly, constantly selling the Friday the Thirteenth mm-hmm. movies, just constantly in and out. Would they be the individual ones or the like? Were there box sets in this? There show? were at, no on VHS. It was just the individual yeah, I guess ones. You wouldn't do that. They yeah. didn't. They didn't do a box set till DVD way yeah. later. 
Yeah, you can't really do box sets. Yeah. It's just too prohibitive. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, you can't. You got what? That's like a lot eight, of, nine, that's all ten these videotapes. Videotapes. Look now at all what these, are you going to do with them? Are you going to put that in a box? Yeah. Put that on a shelf? <laughs> Take the encyclopedias off the shelf? Put the, the Friday the 13th movies? Yeah. That's what you did in your house. Yeah, actually. that's what. Oh, I yeah. Mean, you guys. I remember coming over the first time. You had all these beautiful encyclopedias. And by the second I time I was there, you threw them all out. Yeah. And you put your VHS. And yeah, you got to display the VHSs of Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. And uh, House and House Two, the second story. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed. So, to me, I still love these movies. Yeah. I get that maybe it doesn't. Maybe to some people it doesn't hold up because it feels pretty dated. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think as far as the story goes, that yeah, it holds up. But no, I, I think these. I yeah. think it's a fun movie. I recommend it still. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend there. all the Friday movies, uh, but I would recommend this one. How about Friday with Ice Cube? No comment. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. I swear to God, I'm just sort of like take it or leave it. I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, I, on I, that note, I don't feel like I'd have to be like super cheerleader or no. overly against it. Like, you know, it's fine. I'm not as passionate about this movie as I am about Halloween. Mm. Oh, um, great. Can't wait to get into that I, one. Yeah. You? Oh, Jesus. Halloween. Well, we'll, we'll save that for, for uh, <laughs> maybe, another day. Maybe next Halloween. Uh, but anyway, I, I think, uh, I think we've kind of hit everything. We had everything we, we set out to do. Yeah. Us, us and us and our audience. I'm I'm glad they were here for for all of us. Yeah, I, I'm I have a fountain of information about the Friday the Thirteenth movies. And yeah, that's just the, the the tip of the this iceberg. This is just this is just the start. Yeah. So every Friday the Thirteenth episode we do, expect more of this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <We're laughs> Get no. ready, but but we'll have more. We'll we'll have a lot to look at as these the movies evolve over time, and this is going to take us a decade. Yeah. So this is a long term. Yeah. It's a marathon. There's going to be a okay. lot of other different shows in between this one. Yeah. Right. So we're gonna, uh, and speaking of that, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks, and yeah. uh, we're going to be talking about another mid '80s classic. Mm-hmm. Does it work today? Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin. Midnight Run. Midnight Run. So I can't wait. Get ready for that. I, I have not seen that in a long time. I'm looking forward to uh, getting into it again. Yeah, that'll be fun. Thank you guys for uh, hanging with us. I know this episode a little bit longer than our usual, but, but uh, we got a com- lot to talk about oh, here. Baby, this is chock full. We had a lot, yeah. of, a lot of fun going through it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. And thanks for uh, sticking with us. If, if you're all still there. Yeah, you maybe probably. I bored everybody into. I think I think they it. are on the edge of their seats, wanting more, <laughs> and, and they're going to reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram at reconsinimation, yeah, reconsinimation and facebook.com slash reconsinimation. Yep. Give us a five star review on iTunes. We need that. We need that. We need let's, that. Let's get the show out there more we, in we, front of more eyeballs and earballs. We want we want other people to find us. So we, if you're here with us, help us get them yeah. out there. Right? We can't. There's only so many reviews we can pay for. <laughs> that is a it's a joke. We don't pay for reviews. That is a that's a I disclaimer. haven't today. I haven't today. <laughs> I want genuine reviews from genuine people. But uh, 
Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun, and I can't wait to keep doing this with you. Yeah. And with all of you listening. Yeah. Thanks, guys, and uh, we will uh, see you online, and we'll uh, be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, ciao for now. <laughs>